0: <laughs> there's a, a Canadian author named Chris Terry with an A instead of an E um, he's a murderer and a cheat <laughs> um, he's also a jazz musician but a, a decent one I met him a, a little while ago and no, <laughs> neither of us killed each other <laughs> um, I wanted to read from The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime*. Uh, has anyone read this before? It's a, it's a murder mystery um, about a, a murdered dog as told by an autistic kid. Um, and I have a, a kind of special personal connection to it in that uh, my wife lent it to me a few weeks after we started dating. And I read it and loved it and was like, damn, she likes shit I don't know about. I need to keep her in my life. Um, so 13 years later, here we are, and I'm, I'm glad to be reading from it. I'm not sure why it was banned. I believe it was banned in Florida. And I figure you get that far into the south, and they'll just find reasons to hate some shit. So um, maybe that was a little I'm from Virginia, and I'm glad to be out of there. Okay, here we go. It was seven minutes after midnight. The dog was lying on the grass in the middle of the lawn in front of Mrs. Shears's house. Its eyes were closed. It looked as if it was running on its side, the way dogs run when they think they are chasing a cat in a dream. But the dog was not running or asleep. The dog was dead. There was a garden fork sticking out of the dog. The points of the fork must have gone all the way through the dog and into the ground because the fork had not fallen over. I decided that the dog was probably killed with the fork because I could not see any other wounds in the dog, and I do not think he would stick a garden fork into a dog after it had died for some other reason, like cancer, for example, or a road accident. But I could not be certain about this. I went through Mrs. Shears' gate, closing it behind me. I walked onto her lawn and knelt beside the dog. I put my hand on the muzzle of the dog. It was still warm. The dog was called Wellington, It belonged to Mrs. Shears, who was our friend. She lived on the opposite side of the road, two houses to the left. Wellington was a poodle. Not one of the small poodles that have hairstyles, but a big poodle. It had curly black fur, but when you got close, you could see that the skin underneath the fur was a very pale yellow, like a chicken. I stroked Wellington and wondered who had killed him, and why. I'm going to skip forward a little bit because there's a bunch of graphics here where he talks about meeting with his therapist. Um, I pulled the fork out of the dog and lifted him into my arms and hugged him. He was leaking blood from the fork holes. I like dogs. You always know what a dog is thinking. It has four moods. Happy, sad, cross, and concentrating. Also, dogs are faithful and they do not tell lies because they cannot talk. I had been hugging the dog for four minutes when I heard screaming. I looked up and saw Mrs. Shears running toward me from the patio. She was wearing pajamas and a house coat. Her toenails were painted bright pink, and she had no shoes on. She was shouting, What in fuck's name have you done to my dog? I do not like people shouting at me. It makes me scared that they are going to hit me or touch me, and I do not know what is going to happen. Let go of the dog, she shouted. Let go of the fucking dog, for Christ's sake. I put the dog down on the lawn and moved back two meters. She bent down. I thought she was going to pick the dog up herself, but she didn't. Perhaps she noticed how much blood there was and didn't want to get dirty. Instead, she started screaming again. I put my hands over my ears and closed my eyes and rolled forward till I was hunched up with my forehead pressed into the grass. The grass was wet and cold. It was nice. Thank you. Thanks a lot for coming tonight and to Skylight for having us here. And um, Kelsey forgot to mention also that as part of banned Books Night, everyone who comes gets to select 10 books that will be banned forever. So after, after, please take some time and browse the shelves and pick out some books.
1: So um, I'm gonna read from Invisible Man. Um, How many of you guys have read this one? Okay, so I read part of it. I was talking to Chris about this before. before the event, and uh, I read part of this in high school, and then I never finished it, and I don't know, I don't remember how much I read, but I read it a couple of years ago in its entirety, and I was like, what the fuck was I trying to do reading this in high school? Like, why did they assign it? it is, it's is—it's like the weirdest book. Um, its I'm it's, I'm always surprised by how enduringly popular it is, and very uh, heartened by that, too, because it's really, really aggressively uh, not commercial. Um, it's one of the strangest, most experimental books brilliant novels that I've read recently um, but it's it's really weird um, so the part that I'm going to read is late in the book um, it's uh, I won't set up too much but there's an, un, an unnamed narrator who has been working for an, a, an organization called the Brotherhood that's basically the Communist Party um, that that puts forward this kind of colorblind agenda. And he runs across this man named Raz the Exhorter and his, and his followers um, who think that he's just this shell. And this is one of the climactic um, moments in the book where they confront each other. All right. There were angry shouts from some of the crowd and I saw the men continue past me with hate in their eyes, leaving the crowd to disappear around the corner. Roz was attacking the brotherhood now and others were answering him from the audience and I went on moving back toward Lennox, moving past a movie house when they grabbed me and started punching, but this time they'd picked the wrong spot and the movie doorman intervened and they ran back toward Roz's street meeting. I thanked the doorman and went on. I had been lucky. They hadn't hurt me, but Roz was becoming bold again. On a less crowded street, they might have done some damage oh the other piece of setup is um, there's just been a police shooting so um, interesting how this book um, uh, is continuously resonant Um, reaching the avenue I stepped to the curb and signaled a cab seeing it sail by an ambulance went past then another cab with, with its flag down I looked back I felt that they were watching me from somewhere up the street but I couldn't see them why didn't a taxi come then three men in natty cream colored summer suits came to stand near me at the curb and something about them struck me like a hammer. They were all wearing dark glasses. I had seen it thousands of times but suddenly what I had considered an empty imitation of a Hollywood fad was flooded with personal significance. Why not, I thought. Why not? And shot across the street and into the air conditioned chill of a drug store. I saw them on a case strewn with sun visors hair nets, rubber gloves a card of false eyelashes and seized the darkest lenses I could find they were of a green glass so dark that it appeared black and I put them on immediately plunging into blackness and moving outside I could barely see it was almost dark now and the streets swarmed in a green vagueness I moved slowly across to stand near the subway and wait for my eyes to adjust a strange wave of excitement boiled within me as I peered out at the sinister light And now through the hot gusts from the underground people, from the underground people were emerging and I could feel the trains vibrating the walk. A cab rolled up to discharge a passenger and I was about to take it when the woman came up the stairs and stopped before me, smiling. Now what, I thought, seeing her standing there, smiling in her tight-fitting summer dress, a large young woman who reeked with Christmas night perfume who now came close. Reinhardt, baby, is that you? She said. Reinhardt, I thought. So it works. She had her hand on my arm, and faster than I thought, I heard myself answer, "Is that you, baby?" And waited with tense breath. Well, for once you're on time, she said. But what you're—But what you doing, bareheaded? Where, where's your new hat I bought you? I wanted to laugh. The scent of Christmas night was enfolding me now, and I saw her face draw closer, her eyes widening. Say, you ain't Reinhardt, man. What you trying to do? You don't even talk like Ryan. What's your story? I laughed, backing away. I guess we were both mistaken, I said. She stepped backward, clutching her bag, watching me, confused. I really meant no harm, I said. I'm sorry. Who is it you mistook me for? Reinhardt, and you'd better not let him catch you pretending to be him. No, I said. But you seemed so pleased to see him that I couldn't resist it. He's really a lucky man. And I could have sworn you was, man... You get away from here before you get me in trouble, she said, moving aside, and I left. It was very strange, but that about the hat was a good idea, I thought, hurrying along now and looking out for Roz's men. I was wasting time. At the first hat shop, I went in and bought the widest hat in stock and put it on. With this, I thought, I should be seen even in a snowstorm, only they'd think I was someone else. Then I was back in the street and moving toward the subway. My eyes adjusted quickly. The world took on a dark green intensity. The lights of cars glowed like stars. Faces were a mysterious blur. The garish signs of movie houses muted down to soft, sinister glowing. I headed back for Roz's meeting with a bold swagger. This was the real test. If it worked, I would go on to Hambros without further trouble. In the angry period to come, I would be able to move about." A couple of men approached, eating up the walk with jo- long, jaunty strides that caused their heavy silk sports shirts to flounce myth- rhythmically upon their bodies. They, too, wore dark glasses. Their hats were set high upon their heads. The brims turned down. A couple of hipsters, I thought, just as they spoke. "'What you saying, Daddy-o?' they said. "'Reinhardt, Papa, tell us what you're putting down,' they said. "'Oh, hell, they're probably his friends,' I thought, waving and moving on. "'We know what you're doing, Reinhardt,' one of them called. "'Play it cool, old man, play it cool.' I waved again as though in on the joke. They laughed behind me. I was nearing the end of the block now, wet with sweat. Who was this Reinhardt and what was he putting down? I'd have to learn more about him to avoid further misidentifications. A car passed with its radio blaring, ahead I could hear the exhorter barking harshly to the crowd, then I was moving close and coming to a stop conspicuously in the space left for pedestrians to pass through the crowd. To the rear they were lined up too deep before the store windows, before me the listeners merged in a green tinted gloom. The exhorter gestured violently, blasting the brotherhood. The time for auction is here, we must chase them out of Harlem, he cried, and for a second I thought he had caught me in the sweep of his eyes, and tensed. Roz said, to chase them. It is time Roz the Exhorter became Roz the Destroyer. Shouts of agreement arose, and I looked behind me, seeing the men who had followed me, and thinking, what did he mean, destroyer?
2: Hey, I'm Natasha and I picked up a book this one was banned for it says sexual content and racism and back there behind the, the cash register there's like books that just have titles of why they were banned and there's a special discount for, it, for those books um, and this book that was banned for sexual content and racism is Maya Angelou's I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings let's see So I'm going to read from the opening of this book. And this is a little girl. What are you looking at me for?
3: I didn't come to
2: stay. Wait, that wasn't it. What are you looking at me for? I didn't come to stay. I hadn't so much as forgot as I couldn't bring myself to remember. See, other things were more important. What are you looking at me for? I didn't come to stay. Whether I could remember the rest of the poem or not was immaterial. The truth of the statement was like a wadded up handkerchief sopping wet in my fist and the sooner they accepted it, the quicker I could let open my hands and the air would cool my palms. What are you looking at me for? The children's section of the colored Methodist Episcopal Church was wiggling and giggling over my well-known forgetfulness. The dress I wore was lavender taffeta, and each time I breathed, it rustled. And now that I was sucking in air to breathe out shame, it sounded like crepe paper on the back of hearses. As I'd watched my mama put ruffles on the hem and cute little tucks around the waist, I knew that once I put it on, I'd look like a movie star. I was going to look like one of those sweet little white girls who were everybody's dream of what was right with the world. Hanging softly over the black singer sewing machine, it looked like magic. And when people saw me wearing it, they were going to run up to me and say, Marguerite. But sometimes it was, dear Marguerite. "'Forgive us, please. We didn't know who you were.'" And I would answer generously, "'No, you couldn't have known. Of course I forgive you.'" Just thinking about it made me go around with an angel's dust sprinkled all over my face for days. But Easter's early morning sun had shown the dress to be plain ugly, cut down from a white woman's once-was-purple throwaway. And it was old lady long, too." But it didn't hide my skinny legs, which had been greased with blue seal Vaseline and powdered with the Arkansas red clay. The age faded color made my skin look dirty like mud and everyone in church was looking at my skinny legs. Wouldn't they be surprised when one day I woke up out of my black girl ugly dream and my real hair, which was really long and blonde, would take the place of the kinky mask that mama wouldn't let me straighten. And my light blue eyes were going to hypnotize them after all the things they said about my daddy must have been a Chinaman. I thought they meant made out of China like a cup. And they said it because my eyes were small and squinty. Then they would understand why I'd never picked up a southern accent or spoke the common slang and why I had to be forced to eat pigtails and snouts because I was really white and because a cruel fairy stepmother who was understandably jealous of my beauty had turned me into a too-big Negro girl with nappy black hair, broad feet, and a space between her teeth that would hold a number two pencil. What you looking at me for? The minister's wife leaned toward me. Her long yellow face was full of sorry, and she whispered, I just come to tell you it's Easter day. I repeated it, jamming the words together. I just come to tell you it's Easter day, as low as possible. The giggles hung in the air like melting clouds that were waiting to rain on me. And I held up two fingers close to my chest, which meant I had to go to the toilet and I tiptoed toward the rear rear of the church and dimly somewhere over my head I heard ladies saying Lord bless the child and praise God my head was up and my eyes were open but I didn't see anything halfway down the aisle the church exploded with the song were you there when they crucified my Lord I know that song it goes I'm going to sing it Is that okay? It goes, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, to tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And I tripped over a foot, stuck out in the children's pew. I stumbled and started to say something or maybe to scream. But a green persimmon or it could have been a lemon caught me between the legs and squeezed. I tasted the sour on my tongue and, it felt, and I felt it in the back of my mouth. Then before I reached the door... The sting was burning down my leg and into my Sunday socks. I tried to hold, to squeeze it back, to keep it from speeding, but when I reached the church porch, I knew I'd have to let it go. Or it would probably run right back into my head. And all my brains and spit and tongue and eyes would roll all over the place, so I ran out into the yard and let it go. I ran peeing and crying, not toward the toilet out back, but to our house. I'd get a whipping for it for sure. And the nasty children would have something new to tease me about. I laughed anyway, partially for the sweet release. Still, the greater joy came not only from being liberated from that silly church, but from the knowledge that I wouldn't die from a busted head. If growing up is painful for a southern black girl, being aware of her displacement is the rust on the razor that threatens the throat. It is an unnecessary insult.
4: Thanks. All right, let's give it up for our lovely local authors. Um, It's a hard act to follow. So, um, Natasha mentioned that we have um, uh, wrapped up books back there. If you're feeling risky, um, go ahead and purchase one of these. It's a date. A blind date with a banned book. all you have on it is um, the things that it was banned for and it's 15% off, so you know take a chance. support support your local bookstore. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and read one of them. Um, I, it looks like a kid's book to me based on the size. Um, and it was banned because it encourages and supports homosexuality as a positive lifestyle. because who would want that? Um, so here we go. let's see. Heather has two mommies. Heather lives in a little house with a big apple tree in the front yard and lots of tall grass in the backyard. Heather's favorite number is two. She has two arms, two legs, two eyes, two ears, two hands, and two feet. Heather has two pets, a ginger-colored cat named Ginger Snap, and a big black dog named Midnight. There's Midnight. (laughs) Heather also has two mommies, Mama Jane and Mama Kate. Mama Kate is a doctor. She has two stethoscopes, so she and Heather can listen to each other's heartbeats. Mama Jane is a carpenter. She has two hammers, so she and Heather can build things together. Heather and her mommies have lots of fun together. On sunny days, they go to the park. On rainy days, they stay inside and bake cookies. Heather likes to eat two ginger snaps and drink a big glass of milk. One day, Mama Kate and Mama Jane tell Heather that they have a surprise for her. You're going to start school next week, Mama Kate says. There will be lots of other kids to play with and a teacher named Miss Molly, adds Mama Jane. Can Midnight and Ginger Snap come too, asks Heather. No, they have to stay home, Mama Jane says. "'But you can bring two special things with you,' says Mama Kate. "'Heather chooses her favorite blue blanket to rest with at nap time "'and her favorite red cup to drink out of at snack time. "'Soon, the big day arrives, "'and Mama Kate and Mama Jane take Heather to her new school. "'There are so many things to play with,' Heather sees building blocks, dress-up clothes, crayons, and paint. Heather also sees a big round table for snack time and a quiet, cozy corner for nap time. While Mama Jane and Mama Kate talk to Miss Molly, Heather puts two puzzles together all by herself. Soon, it's time for Mama Jane and Mama Kate to leave. They kiss Heather goodbye, and Heather cries, but only a little. Heather Heather has lots of fun at her new school. She builds a tower out of building blocks and dresses up like a firefighter. She drinks apple juice out of her favorite red cup at snack time and rests in the quiet corner with her favorite blue blanket at nap time. She's napping. After nap time, all the children sit in a circle while Miss Molly reads them a story about a boy whose father is a veterinarian. "'Who knows what a veterinarian is?' asks Miss Molly. "'I do. My mommy is a veterinarian,' Juan says. "'A veterinarian is an animal doctor.' My daddy is a people doctor, shouts David. My mommy is a people doctor too, Heather shouts even louder. What does your daddy do, David asks Heather. I don't have a daddy, Heather says. She looks around the circle and wonders, am I the only one here who doesn't have a daddy? I have an idea, Miss Molly says. Let's all draw pictures of our families. Juan draws his mommy, daddy, and big brother Carlos. Miriam draws her mommy and her sister Rachel playing in the park. Stacy draws her daddy and her papa reading her stories. Drawing. Joshua hangs up the picture he drew of his mommy and stepfather dropping him off at his daddy's house. Emily tapes up the picture she drew of her grandma and their two puppies, Emmett and Charlie. David straightens out the picture he drew on the day his mommy and daddy brought his new sister Veronica home. Miss Molly looks at all the pictures It doesn't matter how many mommies or how many daddies your family has Miss Molly says It doesn't matter if your family has sisters or brothers or cousins or grandmas or grandpas or uncles or aunts Each family is special The most important thing about a family is that all the people in it love each other Soon Heather's first day of school is over When Mama Kate and Mama Jane arrive to pick her up, Heather shows them all the pictures. Is that me? Mama Kate asks, pointing to Heather's picture. And is that me? Mama Jane asks, pointing to. This is the mommy I love the best, Heather says, pointing to her picture. And this is the mommy I love the best, Heather says, pointing again. Mama Kate and Mama Jane both laugh as Heather gives them each two kisses. Then she takes their hands and they all head home. With the dog and the the dogs. Yeah. Um, So now, if any audience members are feeling particularly motivated, they can uh, come up and grab a band book and read a thing. Or Skylight staff members. (laughs) (laughs) Or anyone. (laughs) Steve? Looking at you. I'm looking for one to read. All right. All right, sit tight. Um, in the meantime, if you guys want to uh, check out the books or go buy a blind date with one of your favorite books, you can do that too. Oh, here's, here he comes. Man of the hour. Steve Saladino. Manager. I'm pushing into this thing. Dan, you can read it the me. Yeah, Dan. Oh, man. Anyone else? Feeling brave? Okay, take your time.
1: Yay! Hello? <laughs> oh,
5: this is one I was Do you guys know about this book? Have you heard of it? I am Jazz? I don't know anything about it. But it was the, most, the third most challenged book of 2015. I don't even know what it's about. let see if we can figure out why I was challenged okay it's pretty short I can read the whole thing I don't have any children so I don't know how to do this thing where you do that but I'll, so I'm just going to read it and if it's an important picture I'll show it to you and this one might be an important picture I am Jazz I guess that's her name for as long as I can remember my favorite color has been pink my second favorite color is silver and my third favorite color is green here are, some of the, here are some of my other favorite things. Dancing, singing, backflips, drawing, soccer, swimming, makeup, and pretending I'm a pop star. Most of all, I love mermaids. Sometimes I even wear a mermaid tail in the pool. My best friends are Samantha and Casey. We always have fun together. We like high heels and princess gowns or cartwheels and trampolines. But I'm not exactly like Samantha and Casey. I have a girl brain... And a, but a boy body. This is called transgender. I was born this way. When I was very little, and my mom would say, You're such a good boy, I would say, But no, mama, good girl. At first, my family was confused. They always thought of me as a boy. As I got a little older, I, ha- I hardly ever played with trucks or tools or superheroes, only princesses and mermaid costumes. My brothers told me this was girl stuff. I kept right on playing. My sister says I was always talking to her about my girl thoughts and my girl dreams and how one day I would be a beautiful lady. She would giggle and say, you're a funny kid. Sometimes my parents let me wear my sister's dresses around the house. But whenever we went out, I had to put on my boy clothes again. This made me mad. Just kind of sad there. Still, I never gave up trying to convince them. Pretending I was a boy felt like telling a lie. Then one amazing day, everything changed. Mom and Dad took me to meet a new doctor who asked me lots and lots of questions. Afterward, the doctor spoke to my parents and I heard the word transgender for the first time. That night at bedtime, my parents both hugged me and said, we understand now. Be who you are. We love you no matter what. This made me smile and smile and smile. Mom and Dad told me I could start wearing girls' clothes to school and growing my hair long. They even let me change my name to Jazz. Being jazz felt more like being me. Mom said that being jazz would make me different from the other kids at at school, but that that being different is okay. What's important, she said, is that I'm happy with who I am. Being jazz caused some other people to be confused too, like the teachers at school. At the beginning of the year, they wanted me to use the boys' bathroom and play on the boys' team in gym class, but that didn't feel normal at all to me. I was so happy when the teachers changed their minds. I can't imagine not playing on the same team as Casey and Samantha. Even today, there are kids who tease me or call me, or call me by a boy name or ignore me altogether. This makes me feel crummy. Then I remember when the kid that the kids who get to know me usually want to be my friend. They say I'm one of the nicest girls at school. I don't mind being different. Different is special. I think what matters most is that what a person is like inside. And inside I'm happy, and I'm having fun, and I'm proud, I am jazz. That's it. Anyone else like to read? Yeah, all right.
3: I'm not sure if this is the part I wanted, but this is Augustine Burroughs, Running With Scissors. My mother chain-smoked and wrote confessional poetry around the clock, taking breaks throughout, during the day to call her friends and read drafts of her latest poem. Occasionally she would ask for my opinion. Augustine, I've been working on what I believe could be the poem that finally makes it into the New Yorker. I believe it could make me a very famous woman. Would you like to hear it? I turned away from the mirror on my closet door and set the hairbrush on my desk. I love The New Yorker because it featured cartoons and ads. Maybe my mother would get her poem published right next to an ad for a Mercury Grand Marquis. Read it, read it, read it, I bounced. She led me into her study, took a seat at her desk, and turned off her white Olympia typewriter. Then she quickly checked the cap of her on her bottle of Whiteout before clearing her throat and lighting a more cigarette. I sat on the twin bed she had converted into a sofa with throw pillows and an Indian in bedspread. Ready, she asked. Okay. She crossed her legs resting the side of her wrist on her knee as she leaned forward and read from the page. Childhood is over. My youth and bonds with people I have loved are broken now. My grief ascends into the clouds and those tears that fall from the sky build the land anew. Even the dead climb from their graves to walk with me and sing and I... She read for many pages, her voice perfectly modulated. She practiced reading her poems out loud into a microphone that she kept in the corner of the room on a stand. Sometimes when she was visiting her friend Lydia or in the living room trimming her spider plants, I would borrow the microphone and stuff it down the front of my pants, examining myself from every angle in the mirror. When she was finished reading her poem, she looked up at me and said, "'Okay, now I need your honest reaction. Did it feel powerful to you, emotionally charged?' I knew that the only correct answer to this question was, wow, that really does seem like something you'd read in The New Yorker. She laughed, please. Really? Do you think so? The New Yorker is very selective. They don't publish just anyone. She stood and began to pace in front of her desk. No, I really think they would publish this. All the stuff about your mother pushing you backwards into the heart-shaped goldfish pond in the backyard. The thing with your paralyzed sister. That was great. She lit another cigarette and inhaled deeply. Well, we'll see. I just got a rejection letter from the Virginia Quarterly, so that worries me. Of course, the New Yorker did accept this poem. If the New Yorker did accept this poem, your grandmother would see it. I can't imagine what she would say. But I can't let her reaction stop me from publishing. Then she stopped pacing, placing one hand on her hip and brought the other one holding the cigarette to her lips. You know, Augustine, your mother was meant to be a very famous woman. I know, I said. The idea that someday we might have our own stretch limousine parked in the driveway instead of that awful brown Dodge Aspen station wagon was so thrilling I almost couldn't stop myself from screaming, you will be famous, I told her. I just know it. I also knew I wanted tinted windows and a mini bar in the back. You've been
0: listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.